you would grasp this entirely, but like once I started really looking at the inner landscape of my body, it just opened up to me. You know, it, it became this vast area with so much detail and intricacy. And it was like, once I started into that investigation, it, it, um, it had me like I, I became hooked mm-hmm. and it became this really wonderful place to explore. Hi, my name is Prince Daniels Jr. And I'm a former NFL running back, an author and thought leader who lives by the mantra, nothing is impossible unless you truly believe it is. I found the Game Beyond the Game Talk That Talk as a place for thought-provoking and inspiring conversations with professional athletes discussing life's transitions. Game Beyond the Game is an ecosystem for professional athletes to cultivate the mindset to discover their overall purpose and vision in the game of life. And now, it's time to talk that talk with your MC, Stan Pearson II, and myself, Prince Daniels Jr. Today, we are talking to a 35-year-old professional decathlon and self-proclaimed born-again athlete. After his fifth-place finish in the 2012 U.S. Olympic, um, was that the trials? I think so. In a decathlon, Chris hung up his spikes. He was certain that his athletic career was over. However, after spending six years in retirement, Chris decided he had some unfinished business. So in 2018, he announced he'll be coming out of retirement with plans to make a third and final attempt at the Olympic decathlon. Chris now trains full-time at Colorado State University, where he serves as a volunteer assistant coach for the Rams track and field team. Everybody, please give your warm and great... Um, welcome to Mr. Chris Helwig. How you doing, my man? And I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's it's awesome to be here with you, man. So I, I'm as, I'm as excited as you are. Oh, that's so awesome, man. Same here. I'm really excited as well, man. I'm looking forward to this interview. Uh, I've been waiting for it. I've been seeing your name on the calendar uh, for so long, man. I'm just like, let's get to it. I'm ready to talk that talk with Chris, man. So, Chris, and without further ado, I would like to just jump right into it. Um, where did you come from? And I'm not talking about the womb of your mother, but I mean, <laughs> like, where are you from? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm originally from uh, a small town in northern Colorado called Greeley. Okay. I, I lived there for the first 18 years of my life. I was born and raised. Um, and, you know, I've... Like I was mentioning before, I've I've lived in a few different places, uh, a couple different countries, but I'm I'm now full circle. I've I've come back to Northern Colorado. Um, I now live in a town called Fort Collins, and um, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool to be like doing what I'm doing back in the place where it all started. Nice. You say you lived in a different a bunch of different countries. What countries did you live in? Uh, not a not a bunch of different countries, but I, I I moved around the U.S. a little bit. I lived in the southeast, as we'll we'll get to. Um, but I, I lived in Australia for a year during uh, 2016. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of a, that's a bit of a story into itself. But <clears throat> I was looking for a fresh start. I was looking for a, an opportunity to kind of clear my mind and figure out what my next path in life was. And I thought, you know, what, what better way to do that than just 
move to Australia with a couple of bags and see what happens. <laughs> wow, that's good, man. I mean, I see that you're fearless and you just love just taking risks and just going after um, whatever dream or possibility that's in front of you or opportunity. I, I, I do. I've always, I've always been a risk taker. I, I have a bit of a duality in that respect, I think. Um, on the one hand, <clears throat> I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm pretty aware of risk. You know, I'm in, in some senses, I'm, I, I'm quite cautious. Mm. In some elements of my life, I'm very cautious. Like when it comes to social situations, um, relationships, pretty, pretty heavily introverted. So like, I just, I just know that there's a lot of caution in me when it, when it comes to sort of that realm. But in, but in general, um, I also have an appetite for risk. Yeah. I, I like to, I like to weigh it. <clears throat> and then I like to act on it. <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> it me pretty well. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Chris, um, tell me a little bit about, like, when did you start uh, getting into athletics or when did you start taking it serious and and really started to understand that you knew that you could be on a national level? Hmm. Yeah, you, you know, I, I started off in athletics from a very young age, you know, probably four or five years old, just playing Mighty Might soccer <clears throat> when I was a little kid. Um, I first got involved in track and field when I was nine. Mm-hmm. My dad signed me up for a summer track program um, and did it for years. Like I did it from the age of nine to 14, I think, every summer. Every summer, I would go to this track program, and um, you know, we'd practice four days a week. We'd have competitions on the weekends. Yeah. So from a very, very young age, athletics were a big part of my life. Um, athletics were the center of my identity from a very young age. Oof. Yeah, wow. absolutely. It solidified early. Wow. And it was probably. Well, it was it was you know late in my high school career when I felt like um, track was going to be the vehicle to take me to the next stage of athletics, the the collegiate level. Nice. Uh, really enjoying it. I was really excelling at it. I was um, I was learning new events. I was learning new skills, and it, it just seemed like I, I had a lot of momentum in nice. in the sport. And so, yeah, I was probably seventeen. I, when I decided that, you know, this was something that I wanted to continue for quite a while. Nice, nice. So how many years did you spend in college? Four. Four years. And then after that four, what happened? So after, after those four years, um, my, my mindset was, you know, this, is, this has been amazing. I, I, I just loved my collegiate experience. I had a lot of success. I had a lot of fun. Um, but I felt like I hadn't quite reached my full potential. Mm. Um, and I certainly wasn't tired of it. I wasn't done with it. And so I, I wanted to continue doing it. I wanted to see how far I could go with it. And so I made the decision to devote my, my entire life to continuing to train for the decathlon in hopes of, you know, reaching the pinnacle of my sport, the, Mm. the Olympics. Right. Um, so I moved, I moved from Knoxville, Tennessee to Winston-Salem, North Carolina after I graduated mm-hmm. and I trained at Wake Forest with a, an old coach friend of mine for, for five years after school I trained. Wow. 
first. Well, like, what are some of the key defining moments in your life? And then we'll talk about the transition. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, real quick, I think one of the really big um, inflection points in my life was leaving my hometown for the first time. Like, like I said, I, I lived in really Colorado. It's a town, it was a town of about 80,000 when I was growing up. Um, I think getting away from home, um, living on my own, finding independence for the first time, um, starting to solidify my identity in, in different ways, being out, outside of outside of kind of the family structure <clears throat> was big for me. Yeah. Um, a, another really defining moment in my life was uh, when I suffered my biggest injury of my career in 2009. Uh-huh. And uh, kept me out of the. Uh, it it really kept me out of competition for an entire year. It's, um, made me wonder if I was ever going to be competing again. I mean, th- thankfully I was able to recover for it, but I was out for eight months, just um, almost uh, unable to jog. I mean, I could walk, and that was about all I could do. Um, and so that that was a really that was a really really difficult experience. Uh, but one, yeah, the one that I, I feel like um, has ultimately shaped me in a big way. Yeah, there, there's a couple more. I mean, I, I, the time period in which I changed the most, that uh-huh. I felt the most, that I grew the most, that I feel like I, I really became the person that I am was from the age of 27 to 31, and that was the four years directly following my athletic career. Really. So leaving, leaving the sport, as, as you know, as well as anybody, leaving the sport forced me to change in some major ways. And it was the, it was the single most difficult thing I've ever done, mm-hmm. but it was also the best thing that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it ultimately was an extremely positive thing for me. Nice, man. So what are some of the tools and the things that you use to help get you through, you know, those times? Um, yeah. Those difficult times. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. When I was injured in 2009 for eight months, I handled it very poorly. <laughs> there, there weren't a whole lot of things that I, I leveraged well. Um, i just tell you real quickly. I just, so for eight months, I wasn't training. I was doing mm-hmm. Just a little bit of rehab that I could, yeah. and and without going into too many details, I had an injury that it just wasn't really clear what was wrong. And so mm. I'm kind of just trying to sort out the puzzle of why I was hurt. Was yeah, but I, it, it's so funny. Like for eight months, I wasn't training. I was I was barely working, and I'd never felt so busy in my entire life because my mind was just filled with like anxiety of when am I going to get better? Um, what is, what does this mean for the rest of my career? And so I just had these like anxious questions and feelings circulating through my body and mind. Mm. And I just allowed that. I, I allowed it to happen quite frankly. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I wish I would have handled that differently, but um, when I retired from track and field and I also experienced some, I, I experienced sort of oscillating waves of depression for two or three years. Okay. Um, they would, they would, you know, the, 
They would spike higher early on and come more frequently early on. And then as time went by, it would level out and eventually it just kind of dissipated. But it was all, it all stemmed from not really knowing who I was and what I was about and what, you know, what, Mm. what purpose in life was. Um, Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll just I'll just say one other thing about it. The way that I the way that I dealt with that was that um, I I just sort of dove right into it. Um, I I opened myself up to the way that I was feeling mm-hmm. and what I was thinking. I will tell you, I spent hundreds of hours by myself in nature, mm. and I'm not sure that I can fully explain how or why this was so effective, but spending time in nature and like watching how nature changes throughout the seasons and how it is cyclical. Um, I, I would go out and look at the same things day after day after day. And I began to understand how the same things could look different every day. And o- over time, this really put me in touch with like, you know, my, honestly, my place in the universe, like how was I connected to nature? Mm. And that was really, that was really cathartic for me. Wow. Wow. You're speaking my language, man. (laughs) I'm like, this is tranquility at its finest. Yeah. Okay. So for our audience, they probably don't know what a decathlon is. Can you please explain to people what is a decathlon? Yes. Yes. Good question. So a decathlon is, is a track and field event, but it's really 10 track and field events rolled into one. 10? 10 10 track and field events. Deca. Decathlon. Um, It happens over the course of two days. You compete in five events each day. Uh It's in the same order. And that order is the 100 meter dash. Okay. Long jump. Shot put. High jump, 400. Day, day two, you come back and you run the 110-meter high hurdles. Okay. Discus, pole vault, javelin, and 1,500. Ooh. <laughs> How do you prepare for all of that? Oh, my gosh. That is, that's a fantastic question. That's, um, it's, how do you prepare for that? You've... <clears throat> you never you're as a decathlete you're never going to master any of these events if you're if you're a single event athlete you're you are nearing perfection in in your events and, and i'm afraid for decathlon decathletes it's just not quite like that um you spend as much as you time as you can in the technical events right um you train your body in such a way that it's capable of dealing with all the stresses of the events Right, um, and you you just get ready for a doozy, and it's you can only do like two, three, maybe four of these a year. Wow, how how much time do you have in between each event after just finished competing? A, a standard amount of time is thirty minutes. Thirty minutes, and you had to get right back, right back to it. That's right, and that, that includes your warm up for the next event. So you really. You really just, you finish an event, you gather your stuff and you walk to the next one and you start getting ready for it. 
Ooh. <laughs> wow. So, so your, your training days or your training weeks. So like on Monday, do you, do you um, practice discus and on Tuesday, do you practice track and field and on Wednesday, um, do you practice javelin, um, et cetera? Like how do you train for all of this? Yes. Yes. Um, so in terms of technical events, meaning, you know, things outside of just running, um, like the field events, mm-hmm. yeah, we probably, we usually try to practice two of these a day. <laughs> it's, it's not to say that you have to do an extensive training session with each event, but you should right. do, you should do something because you want to, you want to keep these skills fresh in your mind and in your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you, if you let too much time pass in between practicing these things, yeah. um, your nervous system is going to kind of lose the rhythm. So uh-huh. we, do to, we do try to touch the technique pretty often, uh-huh. um, and then you want to you want to train your energy systems um, throughout the week. So we so you've got like flat out acceleration, you know, like running a forty. Mm-hmm. You know, like how fast can you go from zero to maximum speed? Right. And then you have, you're training top end speed. You know, how, how long can you sustain your top speed? And then you also train speed endurance, which is like a 400 and then endurance, the 1500 or which is close to a mile. Right. So you, you, you've got to touch each of those energy systems throughout the week. Nice. Wow. That's awesome. I never really heard it from that, that stance. Um, you know, about the energy, about like being able to train your energy and having that rhythm so you can get up and, and, and practice, you know, keep going. Because, again, I'm still trying to figure out how do you simulate 30 minutes in between? And you said you can only do those like four times, four times a year. So is there ever a time where, um, well, I guess if you enter some track meets, um, you know, you, 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 you come in and you're like, uh, you do all 10 events and then after that you need to rest your body and then you probably train what you take a, a month off two weeks off yeah yeah but i i probably take 10 days to two weeks off what and then put your body back through that strain again <laughs> well and that's just to get going in training again oh. i would probably want to give three to four weeks minimum between decathlons but i, I will tell you as the athletes, we do a lot of competing in single events throughout the year as well. So it's not like we only do three uh-huh. or four decathlons. We're also doing a bunch of um, track meets where we're just, say, running hurdles and pole vaulting. Okay, okay. As, as just sort of a tune-up for a decathlon. Nice. So what made you pick decathlon versus um, like one of the track and field events? You know, was it a challenge? Was it like a mentor, somebody that pushed you? What was it? it? it, it yeah, it, it was all that. Um, I, I had a, a high school track coach who's really influential on me. Um, he was a collegiate decathlete himself at the University of New Mexico. Um, he was just a lifelong lover of track and field. And yeah. even though there was no decathlon in high school in Colorado, mm-hmm. he was always looking for potential decathlon talent. Mm. And so when he when he saw me 
you know, excelling in three or four different events in high school. Like I started off as just a high jumper. That's what I love to do. Uh-huh. But I eventually got kind of bored with it and wanted to do some other things. So I tried hurdling. I tried long jumping. I was on a four by four. Um, and I, I was doing well with these things. I was picking up the techniques pretty quickly. And I remember, I remember the day my coach, his name was Marty Nybauer. He came up to me. He's like, Chris, you know, the, the way that you're picking up on all these new events, like, I think you might have the potential to be a really great decathlete. And I said, wow, that's, that's cool. What is a decathlete? <laughs> I had no idea. I, I, I mean, I've been running track since I was nine years old. I was wow. shocked. I was shocked that there was a track and field event I'd never heard of before, Wow! but it sounded exciting to me. And he, he, he really mentored me into becoming a decathlete. He, he helped me get into some decathlons in high school. They were just outside of um, the typical high school season. Right. Precisely what helped me get recruited by colleges. So I, I owe a lot of my success to that guy. Mm. So it was 2012. And you were competing for trials, right? That's right. I've, I've, I've competed in two Olympic trials in 2008 and 2012. Um, 2008, I was 23. And then in 2012, I was 27. So at the end of 2011, I had to have a serious heart-to-heart with myself. Mm. I was like, you know, the plan had always been to train through 2012. That's an Olympic year. That's what track and field athletes live for. Um, and so in, in the end, I, you know, I thought about it for a few weeks and I thought, you know what, I, I don't want to end my athletic career on this note. Right. I want to, I want to do something more. I mean, even, even if I don't improve in terms of score, like I, I want to end in a better headspace, better relationship with my coach, like. I want to I want to be more pleased with how I approached the year because honestly my attitude had been souring. Um, I was just I was just not really fun to be around that sort of thing. Mm. Why was that? Why was that? Yeah. I was just I was just so I was so irritated um, at my lack of achievement. Right. Uh. It, it was it was that's that's one hundred percent what it was. It was. I was so, so I'll tell you this, I mean, not to open too much of a can of worms, but one of the reasons why my performance flattened was because I became so obsessed with reaching that next height of achievement, getting that next, I mean, like hit of success, that next hit of validation. I just wanted to keep moving up and up and up in terms of uh, the ladder of success until I reached the pinnacle of, of the Olympic games, which I thought, you know, that's, that's when you've really arrived. And so the, the longer it went on that I wasn't realizing these achievements, the, the longer that I wasn't performing the way that I wanted to be, the, the less happy of a person I became. Oh. And, and then it, it just like, it was a vicious cycle because then I would become more, even more obsessed with getting better. Mm-hmm. And the longer it went on and my patience shrank and the longer it went on, I just became, yeah, less fun to be around. So mm. I sort of, I sort of wedged myself into a corner. Mm. 
but I, I will tell you in 2012, after I had that heart to heart with myself, yeah, I, 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 my, my attitude improved in 2012. I think it really helped <clears throat> that I knew that was going to be the end of the road for me. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of had a, a, a glimmer of appreciation for what I was doing. I didn't totally shape up, okay. but it, it definitely helped that I knew that was going to be the end of the road. And so I, 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 I had a much better year from a, from a mental standpoint and I, I performed okay. No, no, nothing, nothing great, but okay. I, I finished on a respectable note. Right. And, and so when it was all over, I was like, I was totally fine to walk away from it. I was ready to walk away from it. Oh, that's good, man. So in 2012, um, you hang it up and now somewhere in between 2012 and now, um, you decided that you wanted to start training again. Um, and they call you a born again athlete. Is that, is that the term? The born again athlete? Now, there's, right. only, there's only one other person that I know that's a born again. Now, this, <laughs> I'm just playing. But yes, um, so um, now, now that you're out and you're, 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 you're sitting down with yourself and you're, you're just in this space, you know, you're, you're in retirement. You know, it's real comfortable being in retirement, might I say, you know. (laughs) Um, But I I had a chance to read your biography, and you mentioned in there um, um, you had how you began to study, you know, some of your body parts. You started realizing someone someone had pointed out to you that you had an awkward gait uh, in the way that you walk. And I wanted, wanted to know, like, what was it at that moment when someone pointed that out to you that you said, hey, you know, if, if I correct this gate, maybe I could, you know, decide I might want to just jump back into track and field. Like, what, what went on through your head when you were retired? And then what went on through your head when you said, you know what? What am I doing sitting down here? <laughs> like, let's go. Like, it's time to win a gold medal. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's really funny because you're, you're absolutely right. Somebody made a comment about the way I walked. And it, and it sparked this, this investigation. It was really a big rabbit hole that I fell down. But the, the funniest thing was, is that this comment wasn't new. It was the same sort of comment that I'd been hearing ever since I was a little kid in elementary school. I mean, I, it, it's not that I was like teased for it all my life, but I just heard these comments like, you know is it doesn't doesn't Chris have kind of a funny walk? Like, isn't it isn't it kind of funny how how he walks or he like bobs up and down when he walks? And you know, I kind of had this like springy sort of on your toes sort right. of gait. <laughs> but the thing was, when I was growing up, I didn't think for two seconds about these comments. Like they just rolled right off me. I just didn't even consider them. I, I think the reason was that I was so wrapped up in athletics and, and I was quite um, a, a successful athlete when I was young mm-hmm. that, you know, the way that I walked, it was just so inconsequential. Like I just didn't care. Right. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, when I was 30 years old, three years out, three years into retirement, three years completely away from track and field or anything competitive, for whatever reason, it, that comment stuck in my mind. And I was like, now what, what is, 
not just this guy seeing, but what is what is everybody seeing in the way that I walk that I can't feel? Because walking just feels as natural as could be to me. I, I just didn't I didn't really get what people were talking about. Right. And so we th- this happened when I was on I was at a I was at a wedding in uh, it was actually in Santa Cruz, California, with a big group of friends, and we were just walking home from the bar one night, and somebody made this comment about the way I walked, and I. And I went home after that trip and I just couldn't get it out of my mind. Like I had a habit of going on an evening walk after work every, every evening. Mm -hmm. And usually it was a time to just, you know, like I said, um, convene with nature, uh, clear my mind, you know, I'm, I'm a processor. So it was just a time to process all the events of the day. But this question followed me on these walks. At that at that time and I just began I began sinking my awareness into my body as I walked I mean it's really simple as that it was just okay if you if you don't is like Chris if you don't understand what is peculiar about the way that you walk well then let's look let's look at how you walk and figure it out and so um, you know at this time I didn't know much about meditation like it was a very new idea to me it's kind of maybe dabbling in it a little bit but i just thought um you know if you want to figure out the way you walk then let's just watch and so i go on these walks and just over and over and over again just observe what was moving what muscles in my body were working what muscles weren't working um what was the timing and the sequence of each leg swing mm. all these little things and I began to get a much better sense of how my body moved and, and also how my body felt as it moved. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was so, it was so interesting. I, I imagine, you know, just based on our previous conversation, you, you, would, you would grasp this entirely. But, like, once I started really looking at the inner landscape of my body, it just opened up to me. You know, it, it became this vast area with so much detail and intricacy. And it was like, once I started into that investigation, it, it, um, it had me like I, I became hooked mm-hmm. and it became this really wonderful place to explore. Mm. Um, and, and so that was, I'm, 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 I'm starting to maybe lose your original question, but that was, that was the essence of what kicked this all off. Well, Man. I know you mentioned it for yourself. You didn't know about meditation, but a lot of athletes don't know about meditation. But it is the key to creating the, the ultimate athlete that you want to be, become the best version of yourself. Um, I, have a, I have a book coming out called Mindfulness for the Ultimate Athlete, mm-hmm. uh, Mastering the Balance Between Your Power and Peace. And I can't wait to get you a copy of it, um, <laughs> which is completely awesome, man. Um, so, um, so you started working on, on on fixing your gate, and then what did you discover? And what are you doing now that um, that you did differently besides the meditation? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll I'll tell you a story about how this really um, kicked into high gear for me. And I, I would say it was really the point where I began t- taking the idea of getting back into athletics seriously. Mm. It, it, was, it was almost a year into 
this practice of, you know, what, what I now call mindful movement or mindful walking, walking meditation. It, yeah. it, you could certainly call it that. Right. <clears throat> so ab- about a year into it, I'm st- starting to get a really good sense of how my body moves naturally and what might be inefficient about it. Mm. And, and I'm starting to get into the, into the mode of trying to correct some of the inefficiencies about how I move. I noticed that from, from right to left, there were some, some asymmetries. One side of my body was doing a lot more work than the other side. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember this, I remember this one day, like very vividly, because this was when um, things really, things really changed for me. I'd been on to this, this notion that my, left hip was doing a lot more work than my right hip as I walked. I could, I could just, just feel it being far more engaged in the right. And so for a few days, I'm, I'm trying to willfully correct this imbalance. I'm trying to, you know, turn on my right hip. I'm trying to get it, you know, come on, get it, get in gear, catch up with the left, you know, be an, be an equal partner here. And I just couldn't do it. I mean, for as much as I tried and for as good as I was at recognizing when my body was working well and when it wasn't, I, I just I just wasn't able to, to create this. And so I, I don't know where I came up with this idea. I must have heard it somewhere, but I, I just I don't really remember. But I thought, okay, if I can't willfully make my body adjust in the way that I want it to, maybe I'll just ask it to make the adjustment and see what happens. I, I mean, like, I, I'm out of ideas here and I'm getting kind of frustrated. So let's just try this. So I'm walking down the street and I'm just, I get into just a nice walking rhythm and I say out loud and I'm speaking directly to my physicality. I say, I want my hips to work equally as I walk. And instantly and spontaneously, I feel an array of contractions on my right side, going up my back into my trap through my glutes, and it creates spontaneously the adjustments that I was hoping for. And it was the most incredible, it was the most incredible moment in my, I, I think in my entire life, I'm not kidding, um, not exaggerating. It, because what it, what it showed me right there was that there is an intelligence within our bodies that is so much greater than our thinking mind that we're usually not aware of. And I, I think the vast majority of athletes don't appreciate that intelligence that's inside of them. But it, it showed itself to me right there. And, and from that moment on, I mean, it was a gradual thing, but what I did was I formed a partnership with this intelligence and I demoted, <laughs> I demoted my thinking minds. You know, it, it was the king of the palace, right? I used to be, I'll tell you this, when in my previous career as an athlete, this is the biggest difference between then and now. My previous career, I was an operator of my body. Um, my body was just a machine that I used to perform athletic movements. <clears throat> And then after this, this moment, this experience, I realized I am my body. It was the mind-body connection. It just, it really showed itself to me. It's not, it's not I'm doing the movement, it's I am the movement. 
Um, and so from that point on, I mean, that was five years ago, but I've spent the last five years really trying to develop that understanding. So, yeah. <laughs> that is so awesome. I'm over here like, oh! <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to close it out because that is it. I mean, what you're talking about is what other athletes, you know, uh, wish that they could just get a glimpse of. What you're describing is exactly you unfolding and, and, and blossoming. What are some of the things that um, you wish you knew now that you didn't know in your early athletic career um, that you would tell your younger self? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. <clears throat> um, well, I would, I would say this. The, the thing that I would tell my younger self, first and foremost, is diversify your identity. Um, it, you know, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to care less about athletics. It doesn't mean you have to try less or, or give or not give your whole self to it, but it just means that you expand your sense of who you are because that, you know, every, everybody really does have a very diverse identity, but you know, it's like, do we accept that or, or not? I mean, we put all of our, a lot of times athletes very, especially young, talented, and, and ambitious athletes put all of their eggs into that one basket. And I, I think that it's usually a recipe for disaster. Oh, yeah. That would, that would be number one. Wow. Um, num number two, from a more practical standpoint, would be to make sure that your body is, is properly put together. Um, it's you know, there's lots of things that I do now that, you know, beyond, beyond mindful movement that keep me in, in good biomechanical order. Um, just like you were talking about, you, you felt like your core was a weak point in your biomechanics. And once you, you touched up on your core um, and you got in involved in the process of sprinting, you became, you became so much faster. And when I was younger, it was just about like how, how hard are you willing to work? How many reps are you willing to put in? How much time are you willing to put in? Mm -hmm. it, it was, it was kind of unsophisticated. And, mm -hmm. and I would say, you know, you got to look at the machinery, make sure that the machinery is working optimally and you're not just putting rocket fuel in it and hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. All right, so last thing, um, you, you, you mentioned calling on your body and, and working with your body and understanding the connection between mind and body. And also you had a chance to see a, a miracle, right? Indeed. Yeah, so, so, now, I mean, so now I understand why they call you the, the born-again athlete. <laughs> You're doing miracles, man. You're asking your body for <laughs> to turn on this intelligence, the supreme intelligence that we are all connected to. Yes. Um, so, um, so 2021 Olympics. 2021. That's 2021. Right. So, um, what 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 are the, what are the the, the latest details? Do you know? Yeah. Um, so, in the world of track and field, I know those details. Uh -huh. um, the Olympic trials, which is that's the gateway to the Olympics, every athlete's got to go through, um, are exactly one year postponed. So next June, late, like the second half of June, it's about a two week 
you know, festival essentially um, in Eugene, Oregon will be the Olympic trials. And so that, that'll really be the centerpiece of the year for me. And then if I qualify, it'll be, um, yeah, I think the Olympics were postponed exactly a year too. So it's about six weeks later. Chris, let me stop you. Okay. Sure. You, you, you said something that, that debilitated your, your progression. You said, if we don't use if man, we don't use if baby, (laughs) you are the ultimate athlete when you qualify. When you qualify, man, you know, because you are going to um, be there. I already know, man. Um, but I, I love when you say, I am my body. We just had a comment. Someone said that. I am my body. Yes, I am my body. I am my thoughts. All of the above. So, you know, like I'm looking looking forward to seeing you compete in the 2021 Olympics, man. I would definitely love to interview more of you. We got to have a part two. So we will be seeing you in 2021. Uh, Olympics, and please tell our audience um, how can they find you, or where can they go to find you? Yeah, um, the uh, the best place would be to my website. It's chrishelwick.com. I also post semi regularly on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me. <laughs> <laughs> really doing my best. Right. <laughs> Instagram handle is what the hell like separated by periods. So. What the hell like? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and lastly, um, thank you for joining us. It was an honor. Um, everyone, please don't forget to, to subscribe to our YouTube page um, at Game Beyond the Game. Uh, make sure that you look at the link in below. Um, Chris, we look forward to seeing more of you. Man, congratulations. You are going to be there. I'm, I believe in the, the magic of believing. And um, and now that you're on this, this meditation, tranquil, you know, Zen movement, man, where you are the, the mindfulness athlete, man, take that with you. Continue to keep practicing meditation. Continue to keep going out to nature. Continue to keep doing everything that you do because eventually when you, when, when you have it fixated in your mind, your body, and your spirit, you enter the zone. And when you enter the zone, nothing can stop you, man. I love so, it. I so love keep it. going, brother. And I look forward to everything else. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you soon, okay? Absolutely. It was, it was our honor to speak with you as well. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, man. We, I, I think we need, we need to practice meditation together. And that'll be, be awesome to, to, um, to share with you some of the stuff that I learned at the monastery when I was there. Man. That would be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's awesome, man. So, um, and please, uh, okay, yeah. So that's it, my brother. Have a good one, okay? Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new show is posted. And please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about our events, courses, and other programming, check out GameBeyondTheGame.com. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.